You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, the shoe's on the other foot. Last couple weeks, two of the last, what, four weeks we've got here, and you said, well, Bracken, you did it. You raced this weekend. Mm -hmm. And one of them was a surprise. The other one was a planned event. But now I get to do do that to you. Where we left off, you and I, was... Racken, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm not telling anyone I'm sick. Yeah. What would you do? Would you go and race if you were sick or would you just pull the plug and say, it doesn't matter. Let's just start the off season. And then we didn't talk again after that. No, nope. You said, I'll decide probably by Thursday. You never checked in on poor little Kirk over here. No, I, <laughs> I was in zombie state. I was more tired last week, physically tired, trying not to just return to bed all day than I may have ever been in my adult life. It's a good feeling. I like that feeling, believe it or not. Not this one. I like beat up and sore after a big race. This was like my body wanted to just climb into bed and knock it out until I was rested. And I had it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I started to come out of it Thursday. That's how you know you did good work over the weekend. That's what I think. Oh, and the race was Saturday and I didn't have it Sunday. And then Monday slapped me right across the face. What I find is like when you're taking, cause you were taking your recovery week after your, you know, big build and then your race, mm-hmm. those workouts, whether you're fatigued or not, when you're working out on a regular basis, they perk you up, they get the blood pumping, they get you out of mm-hmm. that like rest and digest phase. And when you take that recovery week, sometimes that's like the most sluggish you feel mentally, emotionally, physically, cause you never get that typical endorphin hit or like we forced into waking up. So I can see how that happens because it happens to me. Is that, you think that's part of it? Or do you think you're just underlyingly just zapped? I think both. Like I, I lifted a couple times and I'd take a while to get loose and then I'd lift light, light lifting and then some heavier upper body just to try to drive some, mm-hmm. <laughs> some chemical reactions in my body and just move. And I'd feel better. And about an hour later, I'd be doing everything possible to not just crawl into bed and nap for two hours. Oh, wow. I was underwater. And I I, I recovered from this physically very well. But fatigue-wise, it took me four days of being a zombie. It was very, very strange. I haven't had that reaction after, after a race in a long time, if not ever. Well, you were sharp as a tack for our podcast recording, so I, don't, I didn't notice a difference. It was interesting listening. I I slammed some caffeine that morning to get. Oh, you did. I was uh-huh. like, Lisa, I don't know. But I when I listened back to that podcast editing it, I thought I sound different today. Really, I was a little a little ras raspier than usual. My voice was a little lower, and my cadence was much slower than usual. Didn't notice it. I thought that really sounds like I just finished an ultra. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Makes sense. We're gonna get to your race in a second, but it's. I think we're in an interesting spot, you and I. We are. And that most people never listen to themselves talk. Right. You know how it is when you're in middle school the first time and you did like, 
an oral report and they recorded it. And then later on you watched it. You're like, that's not what my voice sounds like. I think most adults still have that where you don't hear yourself speak very often. And that was one of the strangest parts of starting a podcast way back with Benny, because what I don't know if most people know, but when you have recording headphones on and you have a mic, you hear yourself in your ear while you talk. Right. And you can play with your levels, but it's important to hear so you can see what your balance is doing. And it's also super distracting at first. And that was really difficult for me because it was distracting. It's kind of like we're on a cell phone and you talk and you hear your voice back. It's not as bad as that. Yeah. But also hearing, is that what my voice sounds like? is really strange. But so for now, two years, almost three for me of doing podcasts, I've gotten really accustomed to hearing my voice which most people I just don't think get used to because mm-hmm. they don't hear it enough. But then to hear it different, it's like a, a stark contrast to me to be like, oh, that something was wrong with me that day. Oh, yeah. And everybody thinks they sound like just the biggest dweeb in the world when they listen to themselves. But, you know, mm-hmm. when you go from when you go from going having video recordings of you out in the world and then you downgrade to downgrading quotes only to audio, this is just but a, I don't I mean visually is much much worse i was my own worst oh, critic yeah. in my tv days it was brutal and everybody watching is typically your own worst critic too so then your flaws are also pointed out by others which is humbling to say the least yeah. but yeah you because since bracken does the editing on our podcast so he has to go back and re-listen to all these things so you have heard us i mean i don't listen to all our episodes anymore i used to in the beginning just to self-critique but um you get a lot of us a lot of us. yeah yeah, yeah, I hear our conversation here, and then I listen to pretty much the entire thing again, and it's interesting. Now, it's, you had your t- real TV days. No. I had any race that had televised footage when ESPN or NBC was doing yeah. their coverage of races, and watching that is difficult for me because I'm so wooden, and I, I and you're nervous being interviewed, and an interview room is tough. Like this, we do conversationally, but an interview room, if you don't have a skilled interviewer, which that's not what I'm talking about us, but we just build into over the course of 20 minutes and suddenly we're talking, but there's a big bright light right on your face and there's people around the room and then there's one person looking at you and then there's the camera right on you. And if you're not comfortable in that situation, which how can you be if you've not grown up around cameras, it's Mm -hmm. really difficult to hear a question without looking like you're staring off into space, like holding gas back. And then it's difficult to come up with an answer and then say it the way it sounded in your head without big pauses. And for me, I used to find I had a hard time making my lips work correctly. I did a lot of talking like I was cold, like my teeth didn't suffer very early far and my lips didn't like ever touch. And I watch these interviews and I think, man, I look as awkward as I felt during that where that's not my voice. That's not the way my mouth moves when I talk. It's difficult. And you were... 50 steps further than that during your your bachelorette days i think it was terrible to answer questions on camera initially i can't imagine trying to navigate a testosterone filled room manufacture a relationship and romance and, Mm. and and physical affection on camera i blows my mind kirk Imagine if you had at minimum six cameras on you for every single one of your and Lisa's first dates. Minimum six, right? And then on top of those six, there's a staff of 20 to 30 following you around. So then there's people outside, boom mics, uh, producers with um, earphones in, monitoring everything real time. And if they 
decide that maybe the date should take itself elsewhere, they'll come up and suggest stuff, right? So you have people listening at all times. Um, and so I would say the most privacy you ever have would be like the six cameramen plus the sound operators, plus the producers. So minimum, there's like 20 people within your proximity, all centered around exactly what you're doing at all times. Nope. So it was it, <laughs> it was tough. And then you got to go interview about your feelings as like a 20-something male who like is just kidding themselves that they're there for love because nobody really is. They're there for the experience. And so then you're trying to kid yourself and her and everybody else. And it's, it's huh. just such a gong show. It, it really is. But... You know, the people who the people who struggled with that went home early. Like if you can't be yourself or be animated or be who you are in that situation, like you just never came out as who you probably wanted to be. And then those people kind of got sent home early is what I what I found. Yeah. Being on camera is like walking into a social gathering where you don't know anyone. Or, you know, just the person who brought you and you instantly have to manufacture an aura, a presence, conversations with strangers who you may or may not care about. And there's just three types of people. There's the type that can never actually show who they are because they can't get out of their shell. It's too uncomfortable. Then there's the type that goes the opposite way where they're very clearly putting on a show and it's uncomfortable to watch how hard they're forcing it. And then there's the rare type who are able to usually through years, but just be themselves in any setting. And that's super impressive to watch. Well, it's, you know, all of us, it was such shell shock. We don't need to dwell on this much longer, but um, booze was heavily helpful for everybody in the beginning because it's such an intense situation. So that helped. And then eventually, like you wake up and you're, you know, sober, let's say, and there's cameras already there. And then you kind of like, oh, shoot, now I got to really face this all and then you slowly warm up to it i feel like but yeah that got everybody through in the beginning i suppose the good news is that you can get used to anything absolutely anything if you make it there if you stop thinking that there's 10 million eyes on the other side of that camera lens in the moment like it's hard to like if you can block that out and be like no it's just like 20 people seeing this Mm -hmm. then you are good but as soon as you thought like 10 million or more people are going to see me look like an idiot, then you would clam up. So you had to like block it out. It's a good thing you're isolated from phones and computers and social media during that, because I can't even imagine having to read the scathing comments afterwards and then go back on camera or on the other end to hear the good stuff and then like start playing into a sure, sure, a yeah. shtick or like a persona. Oh, anyways, I don't, I don't envy you one bit, but it's impressive. How do we get on this? My voice sounded weird last oh, week. because you were, that was a tangent because you were just yeah. sleepy. Yeah, totally. We opened with a tangent this week, which brings us seamlessly to you raced. I sure did. Because we had been talking, you were definitely thinking about going to Florida and running yeah. the half marathon distance Spartan race because you were fit. Your flat ground running was popping and Florida, the North Florida race is known for being flat ground trail race with obstacles. Yep, And then the next thing I know, I'm refreshing Athlinks and who's in second place at the first checkpoint, but Kirk DeWint. Did I have you worried? No, because knowing Alvaro and his skill set, he's going to lead the race against almost anyone on this planet. Yeah. The fact that you were, and then Jess had some videos up on social media, the fact that you were right 
in contact and in range of him was very reassuring. Okay, good. But I didn't know you were going for sure. And yep. then suddenly like you're in the race and it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was, um, it was exactly what I wanted to get out of going back and racing. I, um, yeah, I didn't, I think I mentioned this to you on Wednesday, but I started feeling like shit on Tuesday, like chills, body aches, no fever or anything. When immediately and got a COVID test, it was negative. It was feeling like junk. So I was like, of course, like, of course this would happen. And I still woke up on Friday morning for my flight, not feeling well, but I was like, well, maybe I'll start feeling better. I got it all booked. Let's, let's go. And so, um, I went and still, you know, woke up on Saturday morning a bit with the chills, feeling pretty cold, not great, but better, like improving. I was like the, the couple of days. So I was like, what do I have to lose? Like I'm here Let's go race. And of course, just as you told me when I asked you to, if I should race or not, you don't like morning of you don't even, I got some caffeine in me and I didn't even think about being sick. It's like, you get out there, you do what you got to do. So I was super glad I went because I woke up and it's like, Jess, I don't know. I really don't feel well this morning. Still. Like I was hoping I got like 10 hours of sleep on Thursday night. went to bed super early. Night quilled myself at like seven 30 PM. I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. Took a nap earlier in the day. So I was like soaked up. Right. I was like, you're going to do this. Still woke up not feeling great. So I was like, what do I do? And she's like, let's just start driving to the airport and we'll see how you feel. You know, <laughs> we've heard that from her before. We, we have. But I was like really driving there feeling like crap, kind of like shivering a little bit. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? But uh, anyways, decided to go. And I'm glad I did. I woke up Saturday morning of the race feeling better than I had since like Tuesday prior. Not great, but better. And I was like, all right, let's do this thing. So we did. So here's the irony to me, Kirk, Yeah, is that this entire time, because of your knee, you have just stuck to flat, smooth, firm ground and you're running really well. And you said, I just want to prove this fitness and test it out in a race. And so you chose a flat, firm, smooth ground Spartan race at the half marathon distance because you knew you had staying power Yeah, and you get down there. And they changed venues this year. Yeah, no idea. It was a brand new venue for the Central Florida Beast. They'd never been there before. And it was not at all what I had expected. Of that, what what is what was the final distance? Well, that's another story, Bracken, because I ate shit and my watch got ripped off somewhere in the jungle, never to be found again. So I... You lost your watch? I lost my $600 Phoenix 6. Went back on... Oh, no. <laughs> I net... I net pretty poorly on this trip back and I, uh, my watch got ripped off. My hand got all cut up in the process, but anyways, went back with the, uh, the Spartan staff. They were so kind to let me where I think it fell off. You couldn't find it. So anyways, I don't know. Bracken is the answer. How, my data there. That's that's, I didn't know this. <laughs> no, that sucks. <laughs> I just ordered a new one. I just swallowed it and just ordered a new one about an hour ago. You just ate a $600 watch. Oh, painful. They're on sale right now for the holidays. Yeah, 500 bucks. I, yep, I literally spent my prize winnings on my new watch. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's just say low end, it was 13 miles. Of yeah. those 13, how many were as you had hoped they would be firm, flat, compact, runnable, fast? One to two. So you ran 11 to 12 miles of what? Um... Yeah, it's a great course. First of all, way more challenging than I anticipated. So I'm actually happy in that regard. I, my training did not translate at all. 
um, really other than like your underlying engine because my run economy was shot early and um, the rest of it was it's an active cattle ranch. So um, it's that like real divity ground in which like for anybody who's raced like uh, a race course where they run you over like a farmer's plowed field, we'll take that and then put grass on it. And the grass was kind of longer. So it was just very unsmooth running in the open. And then they put you through like the, I don't know what you would call them, like the palm jungles where they have those palm bushes that are about chest high with razor blades for leaves. And so you're bushwhacking through that. And all of those have like a, uh, like these root systems that stick up like six inches from the ground and they're sideways in a weird way. So you can't see them, which means you're going to trip over them because they're covered by the bush on top of it. And then, uh, then we had almost two full miles of, uh, knee to chest deep swamp, uh, in the middle, um, from miles like eight to 10, there was an entire mile section. I'm guessing it was a 15 to 20 minute mile. Steve Hammond said before the race, to Brent trail that I guarantee you will be going slower through the swamp than you would at the steepest sections of big bear. So manage your effort accordingly. And that's what happened. We turned and turned into a slog, man. Did you know that prior? Did he, did Brent tell you that? Brent told me that at the start line said, yeah, I guess there's like a mile long swamp section after mile eight. So be ready for it. Well, that was nice of it. Yeah. And so, um, which is where I caught up to Alvaro officially. And then, um, the irony of that is um, for any of you people who don't, you know, live in Florida, imagine like a Midwest Lake where there are cattails and reeds that border the edge of the lake on a mucky soft surface. That was sort of what the swamp was. It wasn't in the woods or in the trees swamp. It was in the open, like rice plains as you would look at, think of them. And so you were standing in muck and mud plowing through these, but as the first male elites, there's only the person with that put the tape out there, it's the only person who's been through it before. So you're breaking trail through the swamp with reeds that are up to head height or sometimes higher. And so poor Alvaro gets in there and he's breaking trail for me. Thank God. So I make up time and get butt up back to Alvaro. And then I manage my effort while he's breaking trail. Me and him had a two and a half minute lead at the eight mile mark on Brent trail. We'd broken the field by two and a half minutes and Brent trail made up an entire two and a half minutes in the swamp (laughs) and and caught all the way up to us. Um, And suddenly it was like all this lead we worked for was gobbled up. It basically negated everything we had done, but luckily Brent trail worked so hard to catch us that I think, you know, he paid for that after we got out of there. And and then the race re ensued between me and Alvaro once we got out. So anyways, the fast, flat, compact running uh, was not a, not nearly as much of a factor as, as I had hoped. It's just the way racing goes, isn't it? It's Spartan racing. We kid ourselves every time we think it's going to be something different, and it's not. So, And then nobody understood in the videos. Like We came in thrash. My hip flexors, I could barely jump over the fire jump. I saw your fire jump. I almost stumbled across. I couldn't pick my legs up anymore because I ripped them through the swamp for 25 20 minutes 25 minutes of the race and so so it was just turned into this pathetic version of racing even alvaro and i like it was just who died the least after we got out of that swamp and got back to business it was just a it was just who can bleed the slowest i bled a little slower that's what happened Hmm. 
Well, I got back from Tennessee and said, I didn't get to use the stride. I prepped for 11 weeks, one bit throughout that race because the terrain was different. Mm-hmm. And you get back from Florida and said, I didn't get to use my run economy at all because it was broken right from the start. Yep. So I got to rely on fitness and engine and it worked out. You clearly had some underlying fitness and engine that buoyed you that kept you afloat. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, my running, we don't get me wrong. We had a chance to use it. Um, and with Alvaro, I mean, as soon as we hit any of that, it was like he hit a turbo booster button. Like his running is strong. And then I had to surge to match. Um, I've never seen somebody yo-yo their speed so much in a race as he did because of the hmm. conditions. Like he, when he switched the flip, as soon as he got ground, he could get traction. Like he switched that flip. And it was very impressive to watch the power he had. Um but yeah, it was, I outfitnessed him at the end. That's what it came down to. We had two carries. He was ahead of me on the bucket. I caught him, passed him. He basically rematched me, passed me on Z wall. I almost fell. I have a video of it. Barely. It was all wet and dewy. Like the Florida mornings are. So everything is dripping wet. Um, barely saved my ass. So he passed me there, hit the sandbag after that, caught him on the sandbag, ran a rope climb together, hit her coist almost together. And her coist was the difference maker. I. I probably beat him by 20 seconds on the Hercoist. He got stopped uh, about a foot from the top. And uh, I gapped him there. And then it was like, well, this is this is your chance. And I knew those things were coming. So my goal was to just die as little as possible and keep him in sight saying, I'm going to carry faster than him. And I know the hoist is there. And that was, I was like, I know I'm going to make up time. And I could tell he was starting to really labor. He was doing the audible grunts, picking up the sandbag and doing the ha. Ah! Ah, that sort of thing, you know, when you're out there and yeah. starting to dip down to splash water on his face at any chance he could. He was starting to overheat. And I could just see like, man, I think I can do this if I just play to my strengths and don't over rev trying to beat him on the running sections. Because looking stock and I mean, the dude ran like 431 pace for a three and a half mile or four mile or not too long ago in something he did. Like I can't, I mean, he's a sub 15 minute 5K. I'm not going to beat him on the run i didn't think so beat him elsewhere and it worked thank god well i was pumped for you it was Thanks, really man. satisfying to me to watch that result play out good it's about how you felt at the end of this and so that's what i was thinking yeah how's bracken gonna feel about this if i don't win i thought well i'm glad you focused on what was important yeah yeah i'm happy with it though i um you know, I, it's one of those things where like on paper, I don't feel like the race shows, I mean, it shows that it was a battle how close it was, but like how, how hard we worked to build a gap. And most people who don't know Alvaro, like that dude can run. Like, I think anybody who's raced him knows, but he's not a name people recognize. And so he's easy to brush under the, the rug, but um, yeah, it was a, he made me work for it. Like, I think my fitness was able to come through, but uh, if that race was another half mile, I would have had to walk at some point hmm. because I couldn't pick my feet up above the grass anymore. And that's not a joke. So, I mean, my hip flexors, my growing and my hamstrings all cramped at some point in a flat Florida beast. And I haven't cramped once this year. So whatever that means, but uh, maybe a little specificity of training clearly, but um, I had to earn it and thinking about it. Like I didn't want to go there and run away with it. That went to, shown me anything this shows me i haven't lost my grit i haven't lost my fitness at all like and and so 
it was good to be able to use it, I guess, and, and just do it that way. I'd rather do that than just walk, cakewalk through a victory and then be like, yep, there it was. Like I actually found something out this weekend, which was good. And that's, that was kind of my goal. So earned. Yeah. You, you made a comment that it wasn't that I like pulled away or made a move. I just bled out slower than him the last few miles once yep. we were all trashed. And that's true, but you can only staunch the flow with as tough as you can be. Like fitness alone doesn't staunch the bleeding when you right. start bleeding out. Fitness gets you to the point where it gets really bad. And then you have to couple that with some some grit. And that's that's the rewarding part. I mean, the work is great. Yeah. Like you've you talked, you made a change in your life, you cut out alcohol, and that was a brutal process. And you're rewarded for it with your fitness, among other things. And that's great. But the fact that the grit was present when you no longer wanted to be out there. Yeah. We talked about that a lot recently, getting to the point where it's not just bad. Now you just don't want it anymore. That's when mm -hmm. it's hardest to bite down. The hardest place to bite down and the proudest uh, I am of the entire effort isn't the Hercoise, isn't the carries. It's the fact that that little shit Alvaro every time we got to the end of any swampy sections would start running when that water was up to about our knees and I couldn't lift my legs anymore because my hip flexors were gone. So I couldn't pull through the water and I was forced probably about a half a mile of running through stuff that I was already max redlined complete anaerobic burn in my legs. And I chose to stay attached to him in almost all out surges. So I didn't let him gap me mm. and that was what I'm most proud of. I earned that win long before those last couple miles by choosing to burn matches early when I was not ready to run. I said, stay in contact, stay in contact. You know what's coming up, the stuff that plays to your strength. And I mean, as soon as he ran through that stuff, it was like, I, I mean, I didn't want to be there nor doing that and was miserable. And so I had about five to eight of those moments when we were coming out of a deep section. It got to that point where like nine out of 10 people are going to power hike still but he was trying to gap me and, you know, he, he made moves and I countered, I countered hard every single move. And for that, that's what I'm at. That's what made my race, which nobody saw. Nobody, we were way back in the swamp. Um, so for that, I found out where my grip was. If I'm being honest with you, Bracken, I thought I kept waiting for him to come up on my shoulder after the Hercoist and said, I got nothing. If he, if he's here, I don't think I got nothing. So I thought I was going to lose the race with how bad hmm. I felt after the hoist. But luckily he hurt himself surging as bad as I did countering and it worked, but like my grit came out earlier, not later. And which sounds surprising because I won it late in the race, but that was just because I was able to use my strengths. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. That, I mean, you and I in this sport are rarely the best at the star line. And mm -hmm. so the strategy becomes, stay in contact, stay in range, and then try to capitalize late. And you either do that or you're broken before that point and cracked or they're just gone and you can't stay in. But staying in range isn't as simple as just, you know, feather it. Feather mm -hmm. it a bit, keep them in range. You do have to burn matches sometimes when you don't want to in order to keep that range. I watched World Cross Country, or not World, uh, Euro Cross Country Champs this weekend. Mm -hmm. Inga Britson took it. Yeah. And in the men's race and in the women's race, 
the the people who won weren't leading the whole time, but they all had to get to that point where it didn't come down to the sprint finish at the end. The race was won on an uphill prior to the finish. Yeah. And that was that point where the people who maybe would have had a chance to win at the end couldn't make it to the end in order to use their strengths. And that's that that's that breaking point of the race where this isn't the part where I want to be making my move, but I won't have the chance later unless I do one now. 100%. I'm proud of you. As, as cliche or as, I don't know, as bad as that might sound, I, I'm proud of you. Thanks, Dad. It's been a good couple of weeks for the podcast. It really has. It really has. I think like if you don't race, especially these like trail races or these OCR races, you know, we always see the photos at the rig and the photos here at the finish line and people get videoed just like my girlfriend Jess did through the gauntlets. And she made, she put in almost five miles on course just trying to get to where we were where we were going. But but you never see those battles within that are the ones that stick out to every single one of us in our mind when you think about races. Like all that stuff will never be known or seen or shared by anybody but you and whoever else you're out there sweating and breathing next to you. And like, that's where every race that I can think of has been like won or lost in a way. And those little battles within that nobody thinks about that. Nobody like, sometimes that's the difference between being a winner and being fourth place is like strategically choosing to fight those battles when it makes sense and back off of them when it doesn't intra race like that, you know, that athlete IQ knowing when to counter, when to not, how to push, when to push to keep yourself in the game, but not blow yourself up doing it, but maybe it's worth blowing yourself up doing it, but yet weighing all those things out where nobody else is going to see, right? It's just you versus really you and whoever it is. And it's just like, that's the beauty of what we do. Like I went change. There's almost two miles of swamp that we went through that was not runnable. And I wouldn't change, even though it was annoying as hell, I wouldn't change that for anything because that's really where, that's all I can think about when I think back of the race is like, that's what made mm-hmm. it memorable. And so anyways, like that's what I love about these races and is, is the, the middle, the, the middle counter strikes and the, the nuances within that are very underrated and often go undiscussed. And so those are, those are what make the race fun. They are. Yeah. 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 I don't think, I don't think it can get summed up better than that. So what's next for you? Um, well, I chose not to race on Sunday. Um, I got some real big gashes on my legs from some of those palm leaves and I had a history of staph infections after races. Wasn't feeling like super great after we got in the car and drove home after baking in the sun for four hours to wait for awards. I I started feeling a little fevery again. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to enjoy my time here with you, Jess. And I didn't want to go back out on course with ripped up legs and not feeling great. So coincidentally, I woke up on Sunday feeling even better, like sick wise, like I was on the right (laughs) trip. So like, so it could have. So I went out and we ran eight miles in the little town we were on on the cement just so I didn't, you know, just oh, nice. to get some movement. Yeah, which was nice. Um, but anyways, what's next? My plan is to take a down week. I ha- I have, I can't recall when I took a week off of running or exercising. I believe it was 20, 20. Oh, I had a stress fracture. In my foot mm-hmm. took six months off. Remember, I started running in November. I haven't taken a, t- a week off since November of 2020. So a year and a month since you took time off. Yeah. Um, but granted, I wasn't able to run as much as I wanted. It's not like I've been doing high mileage that whole time. I haven't even been mm-hmm. close. So, um, so yes, I'm going to take some time downtime for seven to 14 days. I might work out in here. I might not, depending what my uh, 
what my mental needs are more than my physical. Like if I need to mm -hmm. do something, I might sweat and then get back to training. And I'm going to think I made a decision bracket, which I, I don't think, you know, um, but uh, I'll be focusing on the U S national series this next year. However, um, I think I'm going to train as a marathoner and maybe give it a rip this year and, and be ready for the long stuff. And then, do the right skill work to get ready for OCR as maybe like a secondary feature to my training. But I think, I think at 39, going to be 39 come May, I think it's time that I give the marathon maybe one honest rip. Okay. Before that, that boat or ship sails. So I'm thinking about, thinking about doing that gear in my training that way, but still a high emphasis on the U S national series along the way. Um, I think I got to know. I got to scratch that itch. So those are those are my tentative plans. Well, I can't say I'm totally surprised. Yeah. I mean, that was surprising, but you've the signs have all been there. You've talked about how in the past, anytime you start feeling real fit on for long stuff, you think I could run a decent marathon. I'm curious what I could do. And with your knee thing you've got going on, you can run straight and hard. So might as well pound the roads right now while you can. So I'm, I'm, I'm supportive of that. Have you thought about the style of course or which course you would want to target? Nope. I mean, I haven't, I'm just, just was sort of thinking about it this weekend. Um, and I think marathon training is only going to help my OCR. Like if we look at all the other external factors, taking care of myself a little better. Um, I've gained some of the weight I've lost back, which is annoying actually but saying lighter could be good for the marathon. I think it's only going to, only going to feed each other if it's done the right way. So, um, but no, I have not thought about specifics, specifics yet. Okay. We'll see how the U S national series, once it gets officially laid out and then I'll decide based on that, I think, but that's the plan. What about you? I guess real quick, before we get into today's topic, what is your plans for the next season? Well, I gave myself seven to 14 days off mandatory seven up to 14 if needed, kind of just unsure how like soft tissue was going to feel and then how overall fatigue would be. And then yesterday I did a 67, it's a random time, but a 67 minute just incline hike at 15, mm -hmm. 20, 20, then 25% at the end on the treadmill. And I just felt better throughout. And I just stopped because I needed to go upstairs and make dinner, not because I was ready to be done. Mm. And I thought, oh, we'll see how I feel in the morning. And I woke up feeling good, better, woke up feeling the best I'd felt since the race. And I thought, you know what? I think the work I put in just has me ready to recover from an effort like that. So I bumped my training block up one week and I did a, I did a workout this morning. Come on. Workout, workout, workout. Uh, no, I, I, my Monday midweek long run. <laughs> So you took a, you took a full, not even seven days off. I took, I took eight days off of running entirely. Today was the ninth day post-race. Okay. You're already itchy. Not itchy. I just felt good. If it was itchy, I would have held back, but I did, I did my three day rule on Thursday. I woke up for the first time thinking I could run today and I don't, I don't think there'd be an issue but I probably shouldn't. Friday, I woke up feeling good and wanting to run. So that was day one. So that my three-day rule is I have to feel good and want to do it three days consecutively before I can run. 
Mm-hmm. And if it gets interrupted throughout there, like something flares up just from life or I don't want to, then my, my count starts over Saturday, same thing, Sunday, same thing. So I tested with a hike Sunday and woke up feeling good today. And so that was my fourth consecutive day. So I ran, so I did, did a warm up incline hike. And then I did four minute sled push and pulse four minute running at 10% at aerobic threshold. And I did that, cut it at 40 minutes and then hiked another 25 minutes after and got a midweek long run in and felt better when I finished than when I started. And again, I cut it off because I'd work to do, but kind of felt like I could go two plus hours today without really even getting started. So it just hit me that all that work I've done up to this point, Mm -hmm. it's got an engine in there and I'm recovered and I'm ready to go. So my build continues. That's awesome, man. I'd like to scold you, but you know, there's some very few people out here there who I really believe know their body, know their body. (laughs) And you're, you're one of them, to be honest, credit to your self-awareness there is pretty high. So, and, and truth be told also, I'll probably feel the same way in about a week and be like, you know what, I'm ready to go. So that's great to hear you back to it. Yeah. And looking at the race, yeah, it was six hours. It was intense, but I probably never cracked aerobic threshold. Right. More right. than two or three times. It was just eccentric loading going yeah, downhill. Eccentric loading and just the number of times your body pounds the earth is the worst part about it. It is. But again, looking at it from a, like just a, trying to be logical about it, it was what? I don't even remember how many feet of vert I had. It was less than 10,000. 9,000 something you said, yeah. How much was it? 9,600 maybe? Yeah, something like that you said. Which is about the same as doing like a big Killington day just stretched out over more time. So like the time actually spent descending was no more than like time on feet at a, a mountain half marathon because mm-hmm. they were all short. The vast majority of the time was spent uphill. So the time was big, but the pounding was in short little spurts. Anyways, I think the training prepped it well, all the lunges, all the sled work I did, plus the actual hill workout. I think my body responded well. So I'm still going to play it by ear. Like if tomorrow I'm set back, then I'm going to take another three or four days off because I'm not ready. Yeah. But next up for me, Callie Schweikart and I um, are going to try to break the High Rocks Mixed Doubles world best time in, Chicago? in January. Yeah. January 22nd in Chicago. Oh, nice. Okay. So you're going to have to get a little specific. You know what? I'm not, I'm not compromising my build. I'm kind, kind of going to do what you're going to do with the marathon. I've my next progression here was to add in one threshold session per week and start adding sports specific skill work and Metcon work as lifting Yep. in addition to the lifting. And so I'm going to keep the, the build as is, and just make my high rock skill work on those days as standalone doubles. Sweet. I like it. And since we do the women's weight for mixed doubles, the crazy power output uh, isn't needed. It's more yeah. dynamic. So I can work on, walking lunges, which I've been doing, burpee broad jumps, farmers carry wall balls with not crazy weights. So it'll translate well. I didn't think about the women's weights. That does help a little bit. Um, Well, good. And then what about the rest? So we actually teach people something today. Uh, um, What's the rest of the season look like in general for you? Uh, It's framed out that I want to complete my first build by about May, May, June. So I'm going to work move into still building volume, but starting to add in the sports specific skill, doing some threshold work. I'm going to keep my long run and my long hills, but they're going to go to every other week now. 
and then progress through and get some some interval work, but never get crazy about it. I'm probably not going to work faster in true workouts faster than about 10K pace at any point but before May. And then be ready to pivot into whatever the next block means. If I like the second half of the US series, I'll jump into one or two of them and training will pivot towards that. But I want to complete a full four-month, five-month, six-month build mini reset and then do my second one and then let the racing happen. I'll hit stadiums throughout there. I'll hit a deca fit or two. I'll probably hit a high rocks. I'll hit a US national series or two, but it's just going to be sample the races this year with the fitness that I've rebuilt and and see how everything feels. I like it. And then pivot whenever whenever like something goes ding like this is working. Yeah. This race really suits me this year. Then the second half I'll pivot into that, but I'm going to build build build. What I like about that is um, you're not letting anything external distract you from like really building the underlying foundation and, you know, doing a little bit of skill work leading into those just to sharpen, but ultimately like your eyes on the prize and the prize is underlying fitness. And if you focus on that, then you're going to do your best at whatever you end up choosing to really get after. So Kirk approved. Yeah. I've got to run in the 15s for a 5k before I start thinking about us national series. I've got to get above, one six on my Nordic track for that treadmill challenge before I start thinking about it. I've got to be able to mm-hmm. throw, I've got to move my aerobic, my, my uh, lactate threshold down in the five thirties, five twenties before I can start thinking about that stuff. And that's a fitness yeah. journey. That's not a sexy workout journey. So that's just yeah. building, but short term Callie's coming out. She's going to fly into town on her way home this Friday Nice. and we're going to do a training weekend. And then she's going to continue to, I think, is she New Hampshire? Where she's from, somewhere out east, yeah. She's something over there. Yeah, something over there, east coast. And then, so we're going to get a, a skill work day Saturday. And then on Sunday, we're going to test out our strategy in a full high rock sim. Love it. And then we'll do it again. I'm going to, Lisa and I, I think are going to head out there in about three weeks and do it in Denver. Look at you taking it seriously. I like it. Good match. That'll be fun. A little, uh, little getaway with Lisa and then get a workout over there. Sweet. Well, good luck to you both. I like that partnership. Should we talk about uh, should we talk about running and running running hard and fancy stuff? Gotta. I think we do too. We're gonna continue. Uh, we took a little breather last week on the fundamental series, but uh, we're picking that back up today. And if you haven't noticed, we bullshit a little bit longer to start these last couple episodes, mostly because these fundamental series are a little shorter snippets um, because we've done long versions of most of these in the past. Uh, we're getting to the point where we do want to retouch on things that we've already talked about before. But anyways, today's topic, the flashy stuff, the quality work, the fundamentals of quality work. Quality work. We started with recovery and easy one runs. We explained that. Then we moved to long runs and then our midweek long run. We've We've covered all the aerobic components of the building blocks, the fundamentals of training, which leaves us the other end of that polarized spectrum. We preach polarized training. Now let's talk about the sexy stuff and that is quality work. So we are going to dive into what every single quality type of workout is. You know, people love VO2 max or faster interval interval work, true speed work, threshold work, all the different types that, you know, whether you do it flat or on hills, fart licks, cut downs. I mean, any style of quality, sexy work you can think of. But today, we're continuing to lay the, the groundwork for it by actually defining what is the difference between our regular aerobic work and quality work and why it matters. 
Mm-hmm. Do you want me to start off with that, Bracken? I mean, I'll do either or. I'm flexible. Well, uh, I'll give you I'll give you my version, and then you can give me yours. Yeah, because of the term quality, we actually get a lot of questions about this. We talk about quality versus non-quality all the time, but quality is a very subjective term. It's a catch-all term that means different things to different people. So Kirk will give his quality definition. I'll give my interpretation of quality, and then we'll talk in very specific terms what exactly quality is and isn't. Yeah, you're right. It's a very subjective sort of blurry term. And we do get a lot of questions about quality. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that even mean? Is blank quality. We get that a lot. Correct. Is this considered quality or not? In the simplest sense, I look at it as a quality day is a day that has a purpose in which one of them is not recovery. So there's a purpose to what I'm doing today. And that purpose is not to feel better tomorrow. It is not to recover. Is maybe to take on some sort of um, like metabolic burden, so to speak. So first thing is that a quality day is a day in which we don't care about recovery. And then um, the second thing I like to define a quality day uh, as is something that will move the fitness needle forward. It's those two things. One objective is not to recover, nor do I care about that today. And two, uh, by doing whatever I'm going to do, I am hoping to like purposefully move the fitness needle by doing whatever I'm about to do. And yes, you can argue that yes, aerobic work moves the fitness needle and it does, but you understand what I'm saying when I, when I say mm-hmm. that. So that would be my very simple way to define quality work. Oh, I, this is the second time I'm going to say I'm proud of you, Kirk, because we're both giving the same definition. Basically we're avoiding what, what is the, the easy answer to this is anaerobic work. Mm-hmm speed work, quality interval work. That's not where we're starting with this. Correct. It is work that needs recovery afterwards. That's my definition of a quality session. Yeah. Something that requires recovery afterwards. Mm-hmm. Alec Blennis mentioned SRA cycle, the stress recovery adaptation cycle, which is basically like the governing theory of how our body survives and adapts. A stress is placed upon it. It goes into overdrive recovering, and then you get the super compensation afterwards, which gives you your adaptation. And this holds true for everything from training to sun exposure. Mm -hmm. Your body goes into hyperdrive afterwards, and it builds up a higher tolerance to whatever stress was just placed upon it, assuming the stress isn't so crazy and poisonous that it breaks you down for the rest of your life. That is exactly what drives a quality day for me. Stress recovery adaptation. Generally, anything that's not quality can be recovered in 24 hours or less. Mm-hmm. And you could do it again indefinitely. So that's why aerobic work, it can move the needle, but the SRA cycle is so short that you're ready to do it again the next day. And then again, the next day. No. This, for me, the SRA cycle is minimum 48 hours on a quality day. Yeah. So if I need a day in between this and doing it again or more, it's quality. And that's as simple as I want to start with that, which is stress the body. You need to recover and you can't do it again the next day indefinitely. That's quality work. Mm -hmm. Knowing like, man, there's no way I could put my shoes on again tomorrow and repeat what I just did today. Like there's just no way my body would be ready for that. Probably a pretty good sign that you did a quality day. I think like 
when it comes to quality days, like here is my, I think a lot of people do semi quality days without realizing it on their like steady runs, so mm-hmm. to speak. But in my eyes, like a quality day is planned. It's separate in your mind. It's like a different color of pen in your journal. It is a day in which you put probably the most uh, mental focus into of your week. Um, but the one word that comes to mind is purpose. Like mm-hmm. it has a very strong purpose. And what I, one of my pet peeves, and I think when you talk about polarized training, like everybody's, not everybody, but many people tend to do like a pseudo quality day when they just step out the door, put their shoes on and need to run some steam off or whatever your reasons are for going too hard. And a lot of times that ends up checking the box of a quality day without you even realizing it. And then you end up blurring the lines between everything. So, so when I say the word purpose, I'm saying, like you need to be very direct and diligent with your quality days. They have a purpose. They're by design. They're not by accident. And a lot of people run quality days on accident. And so you can't do quality doesn't mean accident. Quality means purpose. And I, I don't know. Maybe that was a blurry way to describe it, but you understand what I'm saying, correct? Yeah. And and this is this is I think a good time to highlight why people say that mid-range working out is bad or mid-range training. It's not inherently true. Correct. Like there is great benefits that can be had from moderate training, from that gray zone, as people say. The problem is you have to come back to that stress recovery adaptation cycle. And if you go out for that accidental eh, kind of quality day, but it's not really bad. So the next day I feel like I could just get right back to training. Because the way our body works is it's not like you need a 24-hour cycle or you need 48 or 72 and that's it. Like you might need 33. A moderate session might give you a 30-hour recovery cycle or 36. Well, where does that land? If you're working out at nine the next morning, no matter what, you're not fully ready, but you're close enough to get by. And that's where the issue starts to come. So you work out again before you're ready and you haven't reaped the reward of the adaptation. You've shortcut it. But now you start accruing a little bit of damage or stress that's not recovering and you bring that with you moving forward. However, if you are really good about it and you realize that was an accidental moderate day, I need to take my full day. But I only need 36 hours, but it just only works to take 48 hours. I have to take a full rest day to even like make this workout work in my work life balance. Mm -hmm. Now there just wasn't as big of a return on your investment. So you still got the benefit of the moderation, but if you had to take 48 hours anyway, you might as well do harder work that still has a 48 hour SRA cycle, but now you've moved the needle more. So it's not that moderate is bad. It's not that gray zone doesn't have purpose. It's that if you follow the requirements of the recovery, it throws off your schedule or you're first, you're forced to either shortchange it or take too long after. And then you're just, Again, diminishing returns. So I think that's important for people to realize that we're not against moderate. It's just hard to time it well. Mm-hmm. And, and again, return on investment. Most of us have a finite number of hours in our week. So we'd like to swing it and then recover rather than tap away some days and then have to play that am I recovered or am I not game? Yeah. I'm glad you dove into that because I think that's actually a question we haven't really like, or like a topic we haven't really split open that way specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if you do that where you're like, oh, I'm running just a little harder than I should have been a recovery day. We don't need to go down this rabbit hole any further, but 
um, like you may be able to almost do that same thing again tomorrow, almost. Yeah. And then the next day you can almost do that same thing again, almost. But where is that trend? That trend is slowly downwards. And that's the cycle that people end up falling into. Never fully recovered, never been able to improve their metrics, yada, yada. You get it. So um, quality. So I guess the question here is, if you have the people that are listening, the first place my mind goes is like, okay, how do I know if I'm doing a quality day, right? Which mm. is a very elementary question. But we do have people out there, I think, that still aren't quite subscribing to, or like if they're in off-season training right now, like how do I know if I did a quality day? I'm, I'm sure half the people listening put on their shoes and go up for runs. Like that is the extent of their training, right? Yes. Um, like how do, how do I know? How, do I have to be intuitive with my body, how it feels the next day? Do I just subjectively guess like when the run is done? Or is the only time to really be like, here's a quality day is like what I said, purpose. Like, can we, can they be, can it be ever flowing that way or can it not? I mean, yes to both sides. First of all, purpose is a great word to use. The quickest way to decide is, did I spend a sustained amount of time anaerobic? Everything we talked about was aerobic up until this point where you're getting the vast majority of the workout is driven by oxygen uptake. You're always able to just continually sustain yourself because you're never really getting out of breath. That's how you're doing it. Anaerobic is when that has tipped. You're on borrowed grind, you, borrowed time. You can't do it indefinitely. And so anaerobic work is inherently quality. And that's the easiest place to start is you look at heart rate and you look at perceived exertion. If you're above I like to make it simple. If you're above a six, six and a half out of 10 on your perceived exertion, you're probably dipping into anaerobic work. So a seven and above is some amount of anaerobic. And if you're going over your aerobic threshold with your heart rate, if you've done that drift test we've talked about or your aerobic threshold heart rate test, you know that, all right, I spent time in this workout above my aerobic threshold, which means I'm running anaerobic, that was now a quality session. So I think that's the shortest, quickest way to decide, was it quality? But it gets more nuanced from there. It sure does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your answer, if you had to summarize that answer to my question, it would be what? <laughs> Start with heart rate and perceived exertion. Did I go anaerobic or was it entirely aerobic? Okay. That's box number one. If you're checking the Am I or am I not doing a quality day? Okay. But it's tricky because let's say a 60 minute pavement run to a new runner, aerobic the entire time, you are going to be sore the next day or a two hour run. If I went out on pavement right now and ran two hours, I'm going to be sore the next day. Mm -hmm. I didn't drive any anaerobic adaptation yesterday. I didn't do anything with 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 having to deal with with shuttling or or taking care of lactate but i am beat is that a quality day and historically a lot of people would say no it was aerobic but look at how the body works dr fred clary would say mm -hmm. is there an sra cycle in play mm -hmm. were your muscles stressed to the point that they have to recover and then they will adapt absolutely so by my checklist that now checks the, the check mark of quality. If I have to have more than 24 hours to recover from the damage taken, even just pounding wise from a run, that was a quality run. So you can in that vein have an aerobic run that is extremely quality. 
I get what you're saying, but that's also how you know the waters can be muddied pretty easily. Very much so. And then that yeah. changes over time. If you're a first week runner, a 90 minute slow jog is quality. And if you're in your 30th week of running, it's probably not quality. So staying on top of what damage is actually being done is key. Yeah. And I know I muddied the water for you there, Kirk. So clean it up for me. I can't clean up that muddy water. It's going to take time to settle that one. I, uh, I agree with you, first of all. It's the same thing, like, then you cloud the waters even more with strength work and, you know, the dom cycle. And then suddenly you should be recovered from your running. Your legs are so beat up. You can't run fast. It's like a whole mess. But um, did you did you work hard today? Did mm-hmm. you? Good. Good. Then, then take a couple days recovery after that because you just did a quality day. Pretty pretty straightforward that way, I think. And if you go, did I work hard today? You're like, I don't know. Did I work hard today? I don't know. You know what the answer is? Yep, you did. If you even have to question it, like, was that a quality day? If there's even a smidge of a doubt in your mind, your ass is recovering the next day or two. So like, if we're going to get anything out of this, if there's just a stutter and you've been able to answer that question, like, did I work hard today? You're like, Oh, you even pause like that to think about it. Mm-hmm. Recover, or quality day, done. Recovery needs to happen afterwards. That's uh, as simple as I can break it down. And I think that covers like your anaerobic, your aerobic like pieces enough. And then the point is like, if you're always doing these meh reco- quality days, well, you're not going to end up moving the fitness needle that far. And then over time, and then we get into like the ones where you're like, well, no shit, I worked hard today. Like, duh, like, yep. this was a quality day. And that's what we obviously want to advance to. But that's how you got to look at it because otherwise that's exactly the gray zone, zone three trap that you fall into. The, Did I work hard today? And you, and you hesitate on answering that question. Like that's what we don't really want, but that would be the side you have to err on if you're trying to determine. And, and your question is 100% right. Did I work hard? Eh, I'm not sure. Like if you have to ask, you can't afford it to go exactly. beer fest, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We don't know what a ZJ is, but if you have to ask, you don't belong <laughs> paying for one. So true. because we're not to be trusted as athletes, sometimes you have to ask the opposite question because we can fudge the numbers. Did I work hard? No, that wasn't hard. Ask yourself if it was easy. Mm-hmm. That's easier to, to, to nail down. It's harder to lie. Was it really easy? So if you're not to be trusted, ask yourself that question. If you're a trustworthy person, Go with the hard question. But either way, after you ask that question, then ask, did I take damage? Because again, 90-minute downhill run, super easy, super aerobic. Am I going to be super sore in my quads and hip flexors and glutes tomorrow? If, If you took damage, sorry, you're right back in the quality. It's one of those, again, if you have to ask, take the extra day. Yep. Quality workouts are supposed to give you a benefit. And this is where this is where the two paths diverge in the woods, right? People who do quality workouts because they love quality workouts and people who do quality workouts because they understand that it drives adaptation. Yeah. People who do it just because they love it can't wait to get back to the workout. People who do it because it drives adaptation can't wait to let that recovery process run its course so they can reapply that stress again at the exact appropriate time. Right. And so if you shortcut that process, if you're like, I don't think it was quality or all I needed was one day, 
if you err on the side of doing it too soon, you just don't reap the benefits. You just don't. And if you wait way too long, you don't reap the benefits. It's an analogy I've used for a long time, but sun exposure. If you go out in the sun and you get sunburn, that's a quality day. <laughs> if you get more tan, just slightly more tan because you're only out there for a little bit, that's aerobic work. But if your skin turns red or your skin peels or you just know this was too much sun exposure because you know at the end of the day when you go and take your shower if you had too much sun or not. Mm -hmm. You know it. And so what do you not do the next day? Probably for the next three. You don't go out in the sun. You don't do the same thing right away. But what if you wait three weeks and then go back out in the sun? You have to start all over, Bracken. You got to start over because you absorbed it and then you lost it. But if you go out the next day and spend another six hours baking on a boat in the sun, you're not getting tan. You're just going to peel all that skin right off. Wouldn't it be nice if like we could tell there's like a nice visceral burn? Like that was very objective about like the damage we took in our running and quality workouts. Like a yeah. sunburn is so dang objective and wonderful. because you just know, run the hot water and get under it. Does it still hurt? Good. Don't go up in the sun again tomorrow. Give yourself another day. How would we get a formula for that? Is that black and white? Bracken? Hey, man, can you slap my back and, and tell me if I worked too hard yesterday? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> recovery nice. day. But that, uh, think, think of your skin. If you can go out in the sun the same amount every single day and not burn, that is a sustainable dosage. And that's aerobic work. But if you come back into the sun too quickly, you're never getting tan. You just keep burning it right off and then it peels and you might look good for a week and then it peels off. And that's exactly how fitness works. You might get fit for a couple of weeks and then you're going to tail off. So think of sun exposure and then go to that. The problem is it's not as black and white. You can't feel it as viscerally like Kirk, mm -hmm. you so eloquently stated, but you can learn it. You talk about, I know my body well. I think you know your body pretty well too. You just, oftentimes we get to the cliff and I back away and you jump off it. I think that's the only difference <laughs> between us. Sure. You hit the ground a few times and you learn it. So the easiest way is to err on the side of caution. That's why we often advocate two quality workouts a week instead of three, because then you know what recovered feels like. And then you start sprinkling a little bit extra in there. And then eventually you can safely get to the point where you know what not recovered feels like, but you haven't just leapt off a cliff and gone splat. So start with, I definitely know I'm recovered because you're going to get noob gains either way. Even if you let that SRI cycle go a little long and then you tighten it up over time. I like that. I like that analogy a lot too. That's just such a cut and dry analogy. You can simply absorb and digest that and apply it to your running. Heck, you could even do a one-to-one -one ratio. Like when I'm out in the sun too long, how long do I need? <laughs> Yeah. Like my body physiologically recovered in three days from a sunburn. That was pretty bad. Probably physiologically recover in three days from a tough run workout. Mm -hmm. Could almost do that and it'd probably be pretty close to spot on, which is like terrible, probably yeah, physiological metabolic advice to give somebody, but I could see it coming close. Yeah. If you spend yeah. all day out like tubing all day and you fry to the point where you look like a lobster. And again, this right here is very much coming from our bias, which is pale white people. True. So some people out there just don't know 
the same reality yeah. of of being burnt like a lobster. But you see people all the time. They go to Cancun or they go to Hawaii and then they, they walk out the next day to the buffet line at the resort and they are just fried. And you can see every tan line is just pale white and the rest is pink. And you know, they can't go outside the rest of their vacation. They just wow. lost a week of sun t- tan time in one day. And that's what an ultra is. You got to take a week afterwards because your skin is shot and it's got to peel off before you can go back outside again. You could probably write like a trendy book, like as far as runners and recovery go, like make that your niche or something. That could be how you make like your first million being like a public figure in the coaching space, like some asinine, but like super convicted way to train and recover is based off of your body's ability to handle sun. I feel like, I feel like there's something there bragging. Everything I know about running, I learned with sun exposure. Could you imagine? The SBF 50 approach to training. <laughs> you ready every day. All right. Um, I wanted to just touch on the word purpose that I was yeah. talking about. Let's do that. <laughs> um, the word purpose. So what does that mean? Like you have a purpose, like for your quality day. Like I think one of the defining words is purpose, right? Intent you could use, but the purpose. Um And I said the point or the purpose was to move the needle forward further than your average day, right? Create damage, force recovery. The needle ends up moving further than it's ever gone in an ideal world. The purpose basically means like, yes, a quality day can happen haphazardly. We touched on that. Like if you're the, you know, I run for therapy like your wife does, Lisa, or I do Mm -hmm. sometimes at times. But um, it has a purpose, right? Like you go out and you say, okay, what is my purpose today and you should ask yourself that before every quality day well if you're doing a tempo or threshold run let's say in layman's terms my purpose is to improve my stay power today and so i'm going out to do that or if you're running short flashy intervals that are let's say 400 meter repeats what's my purpose today my purpose today is to become biomechanically efficient meaning i'm going to run faster than race pace so prospectively, race pace feels easier. There will be some physiological markers that'll change. We're going to dip into our you know, anaerobic work. But point being, I'm trying to overstimulate speed so that racing seems easier. Okay, good. I can answer that question. And then you can go down the line and say, what is my purpose? If you can't really answer that question, sure, it might be able to be a quality day, but I'd really challenge you to be able to answer that question for yourself. Oh, I do 800s because I'm supposed to, and that's all I know, and they're hard. That's good. It's still a quality day, but like, I would just challenge you to say, what is my purpose? And if you have a defined answer for that and it involves working somewhat hard, then you definitely are doing a quality day. So like, I just, I just think that's like an important parallel to make for people. And a lot of people don't. I like that. And and all quality workouts must have purpose, but not all purposeful workouts are quality. True. And I think that's important to remember. Because, and this is an episode we'll get to later, but the concept of skill work versus quality work, Mm -hmm. you can say, I'm doing this workout for the exact purpose of my next event. But if you can't check one of the boxes of, did it damage me? Was I anaerobic? Do I need recovery? If you can't check that, then it's not a quality day. Yeah. You can consider it quality type B if you want, if it makes you feel better that this was a good quality session. But remember, purpose is necessary. But recovery is the byproduct that we're looking at here. Yeah. And I think like we have mentioned the word recovery a ton here and we're talking about quality work, but they're synonymous. So like without one, there's not the other. And with one definitely comes the other. So like, Mm -hmm. I think then the last question to answer. So 
we can try to clear up. I don't feel I feel like we're making kind of muddy waters, but that's because most people make muddy waters themselves is what the hell they're doing with their training, right? And so we're just trying to address all of those nuances. But you 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 often say like, oh well, I know like this workout caused me damage and I know I'm going to need recovery, but I feel like not everybody's as good at like knowing what happens to their body afterwards, right? Like how do you know if there's so like the damage that has occurred? Like, for example, I've been going out and I've done every single quality workout, either on a treadmill or the road these last three months. Mm-hmm. And here I go race in the swamps. Like, I would not recommend you do that. Obviously, I'd pour on my idea. But point being is I can go out and run really hard intervals on the road. I'm not going to be sore tomorrow. I'm not going to be, let's say, necessarily maybe a little stiff. Who knows? But heck, I'm 38. Some days it's just the way it is. And so... Like, how do you know? Like, oh, I'm not, I wake up, I'm not sore, and I don't got kinks, but I worked hard as fuck yesterday. Like, how do you know? Do you, do you have an answer for that for people? Like, how to know? Trial and error, like you said? Yeah, I'm going to start theoretical, and then I'm going to give some data points. Okay, I like it. The theoret it's not really theoretical, but you have to take some things on faith. You have to take on faith that almost every damaging stress to the body has a 48 to 72 hour recovery adaptation cycle. Like you don't recover for 48 to 72 hours. And then you have this time afterwards where you reap the benefits of the adaptation, but the recovery itself for, for the vast majority of truly stressful pieces on the body, I don't care if it's illness or if it's sleep or if it's sunburn or if it's workouts, most sit between 48 and 72. Now, some people could argue 36 hours, but I don't care about that because most of us don't stagger workouts 36. 48 is an easy number to work with. 72 is easy. So basically, if you think you did something pretty hard, you need at least two days, if not three, to recover. Even if you wake up and your body's like, man, I can still touch my toes this morning and put my socks on like I always can. Well, yeah, we, we have our muscular system, we have our skeletal system, and then we have our respiratory system, the cardiac, like there are pieces that aren't sore. Right. Your heart rarely feels sore. Yeah. So <laughs> it's the metabolic damage that you would need the microscope to see. And, yeah. Right. I just want to, you're making the exact point I was hoping you'd make. By Good. The way, so I'm glad, yes. So yeah, you have to take on faith that your metabolic system, your endocrine system, like your nervous system still is going to need to receive the same type of tender loving care that your skeletal muscular system needs as well. But there are data points you can look to. And that's one of the reasons why I think anyone who's training or cares about health should at least have an idea of what their resting heart rate should be every morning when they wake up. Yeah. And th- this is basically where whoop comes in. They look at heart rate variability, which they, they throw a lot of stuff around there, but basically what they're really tracking is, do you have atypical heart rates at rest compared to, to what your normal baseline is? And so if you're always waking up at 60 beats per minute and one day you're at 68, then it's going to say you are 85% recovered. You must take a down day. That That's yeah. all it is. So track your heart rate every morning. That is not infallible, but it's probably the quickest way to put a data point to my take it on faith argument that I am not fully recovered. My legs feel great. My heart rate's elevated. Something's going on in there. There is an SRA cycle at work. Yeah. I like you brought up heart rate for me. Like if I had a hard quality day, um, especially like the tempo type runs where I have an elevated heart rate that's, you know, sustained for a while. Um, heck, two, four hours after my workout, 
my heart rate's still elevated like five, ten beats a minute. Just like it's just up there, man. Like it is just going through that recovery process. Like no shit, you you worked hard, and and that is a good. The waking up would be the waking up with an elevated heart rate would be indicative of like some pretty good underlying damage you caused to wake mm-hmm. up and still. But it's 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 an appropriate indicator. That's why Whoop is so successful. But I agree with the heart rate thing. But for me, like if I do an aerobic run, like a recovery run, I can be five minutes removed. And my heart rate's back down into the 40s, without question. If I just sit down on the couch, relax, I'm going to be right back down to some sort of like resting heart rate. Whereas if I did that, I may be in the 70s after a quality day, five, mm-hmm. 10 minutes after my, my workout. So there's like no doubt there. You can always test the waters that way too. You truly recover your heart. It's going to come right back down to resting heart rate pretty, pretty quick. And if it doesn't, I can always just feel it with myself. So I'm, we all have our own nuances. That's one of mine. Yeah. And, and I think there's probably three good times to test your heart rate. The first would be right after the workout throughout the rest of the day. The rest of the day, am I continually elevated? It might drop down for a while and then I get up to go walk to the kitchen and my heart rate, it just kind of like shoots up real quick. That's a good indicator, like you're saying. In the morning then when you wake up, if it's elevated, that's a good indicator. But oftentimes you won't see it elevated after a normal quality day in the morning. But then the third system check is when you start to move again the next workout. There are days where I go into a workout open-ended and I'll do 10 minutes of light warming up on my treadmill downstairs because I know at 10%, if I can't run aerobically at five miles per hour on my Nordic track, I'm not recovered because that's like a guaranteed set in stone thing for me when I'm in X number of shapes. Sometimes it's 4.8 miles per hour. Sometimes it's five, but I know what my warm-up looks like, how long it takes for my heart rate to get up. And if I start seeing, yeah, I'm running five miles per hour at 10% incline and my legs feel fine, but I'm already at 148 and I'm only three minutes in. Something's not totally right there. So that's the third check-in point is I passed the first two, but something's still a little bit off. Yeah. It's a good point too. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I feel like, uh, I feel like we covered the bases today enough. You always usually have one little jab you want to get in there. So I'm guessing. No, that is my thing. I say, oh, oh, you know, yeah, no, I'm good. But, but, but what I really like to close with, I find myself doing that a lot. But no, today, today is not meant to be the end all, be all. We still want to talk about threshold work and define it. We want to define VO2 max. We want to define critical velocity. We want to define a tempo versus a threshold run versus cruise intervals, all that stuff. And we're going to today is just defining: was I doing a quality workout or not? Mm-hmm. And I'd love if everyone just left and looked into the stress recovery adaptation cycle. Mm-hmm. Understand that you understand your body. And if you understand how that works, then you understand how workouts affect your body. Yep, exactly. And we're going to piggyback this one today with skill work next week, which you hear us throw around a good bit. Mm. But, um, you know, we've touched on it in the past. We're going to touch on it again. That'll be the next topic. And actually, with these fundamental episodes, um, I don't know how many we're going to do, but if there's a suggestion, like these like sort of vague questions you have that maybe you feel too stupid to ask, those are actually kind of the topics that we want to talk about, like those back to basics. So if you have any suggestions, something that we might not think about, throw them our way too, because I think that would be helpful. But we got a short list of a few things we still want to cover. Yeah, we're going to hit the nuts and bolts, but what we consider nuts and bolts are very different sometimes than what other people might. And we always get that. Listen, everyone always says blank and I have no idea what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. Send it over. We'll hit, we'll hit it. Yes. And good talking to you folks this weekend down in Florida. Appreciate. I had a lot of people back and come up and say they're on the plant. They're running public training plan. 
a lot of uh, thank yous for um, just teaching people, <laughs> you know, stuff about running. It was very nice that those of you who took the time to come up and say, hey, I want to say thank you. It was good meeting everybody, shaking hands, fist bumping, and, and know that you're out there listening. It was good. It's always good to hear that. I didn't see a single running public shirt, Bill Bracken. Eh, it's Florida. It's muggy. We have cotton. There wasn't a lot of shit. There wasn't a lot of shirts on for the dudes anyways down there. So I guess I do have my final piece to say, Kirk. Knew it. Uh-oh. It's not about the topic, though, so it doesn't count. Uh, okay. Running public training plan. We are approaching the end of our base building block here. Woo! And we are progressing into part two of base building. So base building 2.0. So I, I guess it's a misnomer to say, or maybe I just lied to say we're approaching the end. Base pointing, base pointing, base building 1.0 is coming to a close in a few weeks here. And we are transitioning into 2.0, which these things we're talking about are start starting to come more into play. Skill work. We're going to have a little bit of anaerobic work. Long runs are going to lengthen and start separating in, in proximity a little bit. So we're starting to progress into the next stage. It's not too late to jump on and still base build. And if you're on it already, the light at the end of the tunnel is starting to get a little brighter. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you brought that up. And it is not too late. You could hop in at this point. Even if you just came off a recovery week, you could hop into base building phase two. No problem. So, yes. Get on that plan. It's 20 bucks a month. My goodness. Charity. <laughs> That's exactly it. Kirk DeWint. Kirk DeWint. Yes, sir. Congratulations on your podium. This this is a – my first one back at City was weighty because it proved that – I could still do it at some level. And this mm-hmm. one felt weighty for me, for you, in that I, it just felt like a justification of the positive life changes you've made. It felt weighty for me as well. Good. It should. To prove I'm not full of shit to myself. Yeah. And that all this, that some, some very hard lifestyle changes uh, are, are worth it. You know, it's not like I won the Olympics or the world champs. I won the Central Florida Beast, which means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But you got to take one one step one day at a time. And this is step one back to racing, right? And that's a big that's a big deal. And I never won a beast before. I didn't realize that I've never podiumed in a beast before. It's like something I've never done because any beast I've run has always been a U.S. National Series race every single time. I've never run a non-U.S. National Series or world champ beast. So I got to check that box, too. Congratulations. Who would, have thought, who would have thought? I'm trying to think if I have. Same thing. The only, because I don't like long distance, the only time I raced that distance is when it was contractually mandated mm-hmm. or the season demanded it. And it was always national or world championship. Ah, Hawaii. Which, which is the biggest outlier race. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I thought I might have one upper leg on you. Oh, I'm sure you do. No. Anyways, Not the... In this day and age, the sport has progressed to the point where there are no freebies. Yeah. Like every, even if it's the the week after World Championship, it doesn't matter. All the regional guys are studs these days and girls. So every podium now counts. Where back in the day, you used to be able to say, Hunter used to call them JV podiums and people call them podium. Mm-hmm. They're all real at this point because everyone's a stud. Back yeah. in the day, when I came into the sport, Alvaro would have been top three in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's just depth of field is crazy different. So every single podium counts more than it used to. So anyone who's out there getting them has done something impressive. Yeah. Chase Pack has not only 
you know, especially on the men's side, but women too, uh, has the men's side, the chase backs doubled in size and gotten half twice as close as they used to be. It's like, since one of those makes sport great. Okay. Thanks for listening guys. See you later this week. That's the plan. Ciao. Thank you.